Well, good morning. It is 9.02, and you're listening to Public Radio, KBBI, AM 890, Homer. I'm Jay Barrett. It's time for the COVID brief. I've got uh, Nurse Lauren Carroll and uh, Dorotha Ferraro all uh, available here uh, this morning. Uh, Dorotha, are you, uh, are you online right now? How are things going there at uh, South Peninsula Hospital in the past week? Good morning, Jay. Well, Hi. things are quite busy at South Peninsula Hospital, although very little of it um, in the hospital um, per se is related to COVID. So I have some good news as far as numbers go. Um, in the last week, the week ending um, February 8, um, we had only three visits to the ER related to um, COVID. So just for perspective, that's down from 12 the prior two weeks, 15 the week before that. So that's a pretty significant um, drop um, and um, does not mean that folks are um, have nothing else to do because certainly um, the hospital remains busy with other care, but that's good that the ER visits are down. And um, also following that, we only had one new um, hospital admission related to COVID for COVID positive. So that's um, great too. So those numbers are trending. Um, as far as tests go, we were at 720 tests collected in the last week. And test numbers, um, that's down. Positivity rate is remaining right about the same. We're at just under 14% with 100 positives. Um, a, a little uncertainty there because there are folks that are um, seem to be um, returning to the test site to get tested again because um, the first time they tested positive and don't have symptoms, they're in that asymptomatic group, and then they um, come back and test again. That's always been an issue throughout the entire pandemic is that these numbers are simply a test number, they're not a person number. And so that's why it's so important to look at cases versus um, test test and um, positivity rate. But as far as tests go, 720 and we're um, just under 14% positivity rate. And um, we continue to give the monoclonal antibody infusions. We did seven of those last week. And we also continue to give vaccines. Um, we did 58 vaccines last week. So that still remains a um, great tool for the community. And folks are still taking advantage of that. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's excellent. Those are, those are good numbers. Uh, and they're going in uh, the right direction. I noticed that they uh, are, are pretty well reflective of the numbers I'm seeing on the state's uh, COVID uh, dashboard, um, 150 hospitalized. I don't mean to be stealing your thunder here, Lauren, but 150 hospitalized uh, with COVID and only six of them on, uh, on ventilators. Lauren, maybe you could talk about the uh, statewide figures and how they're uh, changing um, currently. Oh, sure thing. And uh, thanks, Jay. Good morning, everyone. You know, uh, some promising news you know the european union we've been kind of talking about them how they've continued to be on the uh upturn <clears throat> in terms of total number of reported cases however they're recently um enjoying a downturn in new cases of COVID 19. and so that trend uh, seems to be unfolding globally so uh some other areas of the globe uk is enjoying a downturn as well as the united states in regards to cases uh, throughout the country, uh, United States uh, is down in regards to newly reported cases, about 60, over 60% as compared to a couple weeks ago. And Alaska continues to lead in regards to being the number one state for the most reported cases per
per population. Um, but the upshot there, as Joe McLaughlin might say, is that we're down about 50% as compared to uh, two weeks ago. So that's great news. Um, some more challenging and consistent news is hospitals continue uh, to struggle with capacity. And this is particularly uh, true in our population center anchorage. So AMC IC is closed as well as their psych, and they're diverting folks away from the emergency department to other areas of the state who have the capacity to meet those needs. Um, and that's kind of true throughout Anchorage, Fairbanks. And if you go down to Southeast, uh, they're having a little bit easier time. Bartlett is, is wide open for business as well as the other hospitals in that area. Okay. Um, you know, I'm looking at the hospitalization uh, dashboard here. And I'm sorry, could you go over how many, how many are uh, currently hospitalized with COVID-19 uh, right now? I mean, just oh, the, the number. Yeah. Yes, sure thing. In, in regards to uh, non-ICU beds, about two-thirds of those are filled, and that's talking total capacity across the state. So there's only 244 beds available. And ICU beds is kind of very similar. Only uh, about one-third of those remain open. Now, the direct response to your question, how many folks are hospitalized with COVID, that's just about 120. That's at 119 statewide. And six of those folks uh, are, are on vents. And so those are uh, mechanical devices with a tube down in their throat and into the top of their lungs in order to keep them alive until hopefully they can get better. And so total uh, hospitalized <clears throat> with COVID, that, that makes up for about 12% of all hospitalizations in the state right now. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. I should give out our phone number. And I guess nine... the... Oh, yes, go ahead. Oh, pardon me. Sorry, Jay. And then, uh, you know, how are we looking? Um, is that a downturn or an upturn? I guess I would say if we look at the hospitalizations uh, totals um, averaged over the course of the past month, there appears to be what might be a downturn. Um, so, so that's great news. Hope, hope we continue to head in that direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, on the cases uh, dashboard, decrease in cases uh, 36% from last week statewide, which seems pretty reasonable. Um, oh. uh, anyway, our yeah. phone number 907-235-7721. Give us a call. We have Nurse Lauren Carroll with us and Dorotha Ferraro uh, talking to us about um, COVID. Uh, you guys have probably seen that uh, cities in California are uh, starting to consider uh, dropping mask mandates and uh, what have you. San Francisco uh, is uh, lifting its universal masking mandate for indoor public places. Of course, they were much more restrictive than here in Alaska. Um, that seems awful positive. Uh, you know, and there are other uh, large cities that had mask mandates that are considering um, uh, dropping them. Uh, Lauren, what's that uh, say to you? Oh, I guess it, it might kind of say that we're entering a different phase of the pandemic, um, but it really highlights to me um, that masks offer the greatest protection um, and greatest benefit uh, for several different kinds of folks and situations. So people that are at increased risk for severe illness, uh, masks are a great benefit or situations where the risk of transmission is high, like if you're really packed in into an indoor area. 
And just noting that the entire state continues to be in red alert, that means there's a lot of codes being passed around, even though we might be on a downturn. Um, and then, you know, also in general, poorly ventilated indoor spaces um, and also high risk uh, congregate settings. And so that would be like uh, any kind of indoor hospital, healthcare, or other places uh, that there's a lot of people just packed in there. Mm -hmm. I have a question from a, a caller named Candy. Uh, Candy is curious, uh, what is the best way for those that believe in medical science to best protect themselves in the community and public spaces? You may have just answered that. Oh, that's a great uh, question. Thanks, Candy. And I guess, uh, yeah, another thing I would say, especially in light of Omicron, is uh, to be fully up to date on vaccinations, um, including COVID-19 vaccines. So if you got your primary series of mRNA, that's Pfizer, Moderna, you've had that third dose, go ahead and get that booster if you hadn't already, if it's been at least three months after the third dose. Uh, so yeah, yeah, those uh, are available right now. Call if your healthcare provider might be time for an annual physical, or you can visit uh, the vaccination swab site of Bartlett Street. Mm -hmm. Dorotha, did you have your hand up? Well, I was just thinking about the conditions. You know, it's, it's all um, unique to every person. It's their health, it's their comfort level, it's the environment that they're in, it's the experience they've already lived, whether they're vaccinated, whether they've already had COVID. There's just so many things that these universal answers just really, they kind of don't work from a person to person perspective. And I'm just applying it like to ice right now. Everybody's driveway is a different level of iciness. And what do you do when it's icy, right? You know, you maybe wear flat shoes, you maybe put on your spikes, you walk slow or you walk like a penguin and you, you, you know, like there's all these different things that you do based on your experience and how many times you've fallen under the car when you're trying to get to the car. So I, I just encourage people to um, come up with all the strategies that work for them and their unique situation. I literally, mm. as a teenager, slid under my car one morning, all the way under it. That's crazy. So yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Lauren? Oh, it, it makes me think too, uh, in response to Candy's question and, and that info that Dorotha's sharing, is that you know with this particular wave, as we continue to hopefully get on the backside of, of new cases, hospitalizations and deaths, is I think that there's a silver lining here. And the sil silver lining might be that as folks, as us as a community and state continue to finish up our primary series and get boosted, uh, the reality is some of us are getting COVID too, but we're having more mild symptoms. Now here's the silver lining in particular, is that with uh, vaccination, you get protection moving into the future, but also when you get illness, uh, even if it's mild illness, you get some natural immunity. So those two immunities combined and moving into the future um, is helping us uh, hopefully shift this pandemic into what will hopefully be more endemic. And um, so we can uh, look at, you know, shifting resources, but, you know, that's kind of uh, the strategy that we're looking at opening up right now. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Dorothy, I think you mentioned this the other week that um, Moderna had been fully approved, right? Um, and I, I'm just seeing here that they they given them fancy names now. It's not just Moderna vaccine or um, 
Pfizer, BioNTech anymore. Uh, could, uh, I don't know who's best uh, interested in talking about this, Rotha. Maybe you could talk a little bit about these vaccines and what other names we might start hearing them oh. as. Yeah, I'll give just the umbrella picture that um, so both Pfizer and Moderna for most of the time that they've been available to us, most of the time they've been available under emergency use authorization um, from FDA. And um, so during those times, we were just calling them their manufacturer name, um, Pfizer and Moderna. And then what happened is once they go completely through all of the rigorous review and testing and all of the more traditional hurdles of becoming an approved drug versus being available under emergency use authorization. At that moment, in addition to all of the um, extra steps that those companies went through, they also get the opportunity then to market the drug. Prior to that, when it's under emergency use authorization, marketing is not part of that that um, per permission. But now with a full approval, the company can begin marketing. And it's just standard for companies to find names to market things under because they you know, have patents on hundreds if not thousands of drugs under the name of Pfizer or Moderna. So then they just um, come up with a name then to market that particular item. So just if you're watching TV or listening to the radio, you hear a, a drug, a medicine being advertised and, and they tell you about it and they give you the warnings and they say, talk to your doctor about it. You can only do that when they're approved because that's when you're then allowed to begin to market it as a, as a company. Now, there are, there are levels of the the, not levels of the approval, the approval, the full approval is only for certain groups and for certain uses. And that's simply based on the application that they put in or the data that was reviewed. And Lauren might want to speak more to those levels if he has that handy. Thank you. Lauren? Oh, oh yes, yeah, sure thing. You know, uh, as at the last day of last month, so January 31st, we here in the U.S. have two COVID-19 vaccines that are fully approved by U.S. Food and Drug Administration. That's great news. And this is just about the time that uh, there's been 10.1 billion doses of vaccine administered uh, globally. So that's great news, and that's a good milestone. Um, so most recently, January 31st, um, FDA announced a second approval for COVID-19 vaccine that's Moderna, and that's now going to be marketed as SpikeVax. Um, so I guess I would uh, recommend don't get too tied up in the names. It's just like acetaminophen or Tylenol. Um, either name is just fine to use. And it, this is also built upon the great news August 23rd when FDA approved, uh, fully approved Pfizer vaccine. And that's for individuals 16, age 16 and older. The Moderna's for 18 and older. Mm -hmm. Okay. Could you pronounce the uh, Pfizer-BioNTech uh Commercial name for me? Well, Jay, I can give it a try. Yeah. Community. <laughs> Is, yeah, I, I can't. Yeah, Comirnaty. C O M I R N A T Y. Natty. Natty. You know, I just think of, yeah. Well, I just think of uh, natural ice, bush natural ice, Natty Light, I'd say. Okay, well, so there's uh, Comernetti and Spike Vax fighting crime near you on Saturday mornings. Uh, <laughs> all right. Uh, I have a real question about uh, the national mask 
stockpile. Uh, I understand it showed up here in town. Is anybody up to speed on that? Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, free N95 masks are available free across to you uh, across the, the states and here in Alaska. And so just a tad background, that's uh, from the Strategic National Stockpile. And those masks were uh, being distributed nationally, and they just recently arrived in Alaska. Uh, where do you get those? It looks a little bit different in every community. I think right now there are some available at the library and at the chamber, the last I heard. Mm -hmm. As of yesterday afternoon, the chamber actually had three different types, the KN95, the 90, N95, and surgical masks. Oh, wow. Awesome. So go to the Chamber of Commerce. Excellent. Excellent. Lauren, how did, uh, how did the uh, testing in your parking lot go uh, last week? They, you guys extended it a second week. Uh, uh, Capstone was doing testing for the state down there at the uh, Public Health Service uh, office. Uh, how'd that uh, wrap up? Oh, that, that was great stuff. It's really good to have uh, that contract, and that's a contract with the Division of Public Health with Capstone um, to, uh, you know, broaden uh, the options for testing here. Um, and that was great. Uh, we were able to host them in terms of space. Folks drove right up to uh, the middle of our building, and then the Capstone employees went out there and greeted the folks and collected the specimens, brought the specimens back into the public health center, the middle suite, um, and then they test them. And those were available about 20 or 30 minutes on folks' uh, phones. So uh, in regards to numbers, you know, that week, January 31st to Feb 4, that five-day span, Monday through Friday, there was about 97 tests, uh, 14 of them are, were positive. Uh, so that, that's kind of what we're expecting. But I think the good news, what we felt good about and received feedback was this uh, released a little bit of pressure off of the hospital swab site off of Bartlett. So it's just a real great, another example of how when uh, we come together as a team, we can really help to meet the need of our community. Mm -hmm. Well, I'll give out the phone number one more time. We're going to wrap up uh, firmly at uh, 930 this morning. Uh, our number is 907-235-7721. Give us a shout. Uh, we've got Nurse Lauren Carroll and Dorotha Ferraro here talking about uh, COVID, COVID uh, uh, vaccinations, um, masking, whole nine yards. Uh, give us a shout uh, with your questions. Uh, let me ask, oh, uh, Dorotha, go ahead. Hi. I just had some um, good news I wanted to share with folks. Um, those who listen and stay up to date know that um, a week or two ago, I was saying that our monoclonal antibody infusions were being limited to very specific tiers of individuals who tested positive and were ill. And because of a, um, a new shipment that has come into the state of Alaska and rolled out um, to the at the community level, we are now able to really um, offer the monoclonal antibody to anybody 50 and over with clinical risk factors um, or um, individuals that are um, fall into areas that maybe are considered immunocompromised and that they're just not expected to be able to fight the um, illness or um, be able to mount a, a more typical immune response um, through vaccination. So the MABs are much more available now. It, specifically, it's still just the Citrovimab, um, which is the one that seems to work best um, for this particular strain of the COVID, but we do have it. So the bottom line is that 
people are still testing positive for COVID, even though we're here saying, oh, this is great. The trend is great. The trend might be great, but we still had 100 people in the last week test positive for COVID at our site. So folks still are testing positive. They still are getting the illness. So if you're sick and um, either way, let your healthcare provider know, because based on your history or your situation, you might want to consider either the monoclonal antibody or even the um, oral um, antiviral approach. Mm -hmm. And these are these are still uh, have to be uh, doctor referred, right? The um, yes, they all do actually. Um, yes, ph physician. Mm -hmm. Okay, so if you want a uh, infusion or one of the uh, monoclonal antibody pills, that's probably not exactly what they are, but close. Uh, the pills uh, for post infection. Uh, talk to your doctor at, uh, as Lauren would say, at your medical home to. Uh, to uh, get a, a referral for those, and then then you can get them. Um, let's see. Well, oh. We only have a couple of minutes left, and Lauren, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to match up the offering of that uh, COVID-19 treatment with what we're seeing in regards to surveillance and how that matches up. Um, so that week of January 23rd, what we saw here in Alaska out of 96 total uh, specimens that were sequenced, 100% of those were Omicron. So, so that's great. The meds available and matches what we're seeing uh, across the state. And what we're seeing in the lower, or pardon me, not lower 48, but the entire uh, U.S. is real similar. Uh, we're seeing uh, Omicron accounts for about 96 or 97% of all sequence cases. And then there's about 3 or 4% of the BA too. Mm-hmm. Oh, we've got a phone call. Uh, hi, uh, caller on line one. Uh, you're on the air. Uh, oh, good morning. I just had a question. Uh, what Do you have any information on vaccination rates or case rates for Central or South America, Africa, India, uh, places in the world we never hear anything about on the news? Oh, good question. Lauren? You know, that information might be available on one of my favorite sites um and i got this from joe mclaughlin that's the stage chief epidemiologist it's called our world and data um i haven't thumbed through there looking for vaccination rates um for other countries but you could probably find it there if that's our world uh in data so specifically our world and data.org thanks yeah, no, I'm. Uh, I just typed it into there. Uh, coronavirus uh, vaccination. Sixty-one point six percent of the world has had at least one vaccination. Ten point three billion doses. Twenty-six point one six million new doses are administered each day, and only ten point six percent of people in low-income countries have received at least one dose. So as bad as things are in. Uh, Places like uh, America, it's the worst in, I don't know, places like uh, the Dominican Republic, I suppose. Uh, let's see, shares of people vaccinated. Here's a big old list. Uh, United Arab Emirates has got 99% of its people vaccinated. Nigeria has seven, Ethiopia eight, Egypt 38. Let's see if there's any South American countries on this list. Uh, well, uh, Brazil, 84%. That's, that's a pretty high percent for... Uh, there they were having a lot of trouble early on in the uh pandemic so anyway uh go to ourworldindata.org and they've got a whole section on covid vaccinations there 
cool. That was such an uh, uh, interesting diversion. I forgot the question I was about to ask you, Lauren. Maybe uh, maybe you could just uh, give us a quick wrap up here in the few minutes we have left. We're uh, we're wrapping up at uh, at nine thirty this morning. Oh no, wait. I'm sorry. We have another caller. Can we take another caller? Sure. Hi, uh, line two. You're on the air. Yeah, could you clarify uh, how long after you've tested positive that uh, you can retest? Uh, there's uh, two kinds of tests, the antibody and the antigen. And um, how long uh, will you test positive on either of those? And, and, you know, when can you retest? Like if you want to fly or something, you need to show a negative. Uh, you know, what kind of time period? are we talking about here okay lauren that's a great question uh, maybe i'll start in the beginning is uh it gets sick not feeling well um if you can grab a test or if you have an at-home test um it, it may pop up positive for covid um so you can count the day that you started to have signs and symptoms as day zero on the calendar and count out five days um, and then you can go back to work and go back to being around others on day six. Just uh, be sure to wear a, a well-fitting mask for an, another five days. Now, uh, getting tested for the next 90 days is probably, uh, it could pop up positive and maybe you're not sick and not able to pass on the virus. So getting tested uh, within 90 days is not recommended because it doesn't give us much information. So I guess if you're traveling and, and you need to have a negative result, I guess I would recommend to go read the fine print there because you may also be able to provide a proof of a positive that's occurred within the past 90 days. And if you're symptom-free, um, that may be uh, sufficient to meet the policies of flying. Oh, interesting. Did that uh, answer your question? Yes. Uh, does that apply to the antigen test also? Well, the, the antigen Yes, it does. All right. Well, hey, thanks for the uh, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Yeah, I didn't hear that. Oh, uh, he said yes. It does uh, apply to the antigen tests. Oh, okay. Thank you. All right. Thank you for calling. I appreciate it. It is uh, just about nine thirty. Um, you have been listening to the COVID brief, and unless uh, Dorotha has one more thing to say, I'm. Uh, going to sign off here and thank Dorotha Ferraro from South Peninsula Hospital and Nurse Lauren Carroll from the Alaska Division of uh, Public Health Nursing. I'm Jay Barrett. Thanks to Josh and Simon back at the studio. It is 929 and we're going to send you back right now.